Lord Jesus, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, we ask you to cleanse our minds and our hearts from uh, the spirit of the age, God. We just ask you to deliver us. Oh God, deliver us from the spirit of the age. Deliver us from the spirit of the age. Lead us not into temptation, oh God, and hand us not over to temptation. God, we submit ourselves to you and we cast ourselves on you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead us into truth. And we cling to you, God, unto that day. And so we ask you right now, you just use your word to wash us, to continue to wash us afresh and anew with a simplicity and purity in the gospel that we might be presented before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the circumcision group, is the main group that Paul is fighting with, okay? So, in his interactions and dealings, and most of the New Testament is written in which he, he you know, like George Patterson. You guys know George Patterson, the old church planner, like a father, church planner, Roland Allen disciple, and he's just this old happy guy, you know, Goatee, and he, you know he's he's been planning churches. He's he's a legend in the mission, a living legend in the missions movement. You know, and it, he just he's doing his little seminars, and he's real participational. We all do games together. We all talk. And he's like, and so you want to you want to establish this kind of culture in your house church, and and if anybody comes in to try to mess that up, you keep a gun by the door and you shoot them. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, whoa, happy old guy. You know, he's just he's old like he's like eighty or whatever. <laughs> whoa, yo, and so you get this feel with Paul, where it's like he's got that edge to him, where he's everything's being written with an implicit, like trying to hedge off the wolves and these false apostles and guys coming from the circumcision group and these. Gnostics perverting the hope and faith of of the people under his care. It's like you, you get that kind. But if you don't know who the two people are that he's trying to head off, it's just like he's just kind of talking along, you know. And I remember for years, like I would just labor through Galatians. You know, just it was just so uh, dry. And then, like, I realized who he's talking against and the issues at hand and then all of a sudden I'm like oh, that thing's just like liquid fire you know? <laughs> like Galatians is just so contentious yeah. I mean it's just like dude you know chill out but I mean it's you you, you understand who who who's on the other side of it and he's just he's not just talking ideas you know what I mean like he he's He's talking about real human beings and real people are really offended by what Paul is saying. And Paul, Paul's just kind of seen in our mind as just, everybody loves Paul. Paul's awesome, you know, but you read Acts 21 and you go, look, brother, look how many thousands of Jews have believed and they're all zealous for the law. And they've heard some some reckless dude is out there amongst the Gentiles on the periphery, just perverting everybody, ruining everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
That's the, the, the center and locus of things is in Jerusalem. And Paul, his whole life, is trying to labor for a battle of faith that has its center a perversion pumping out of, the, of, of Jerusalem and the sin. These are the pillars, right, Galatians 2. Whatever they may be in the minds of men, that, no matter to me, you know, they extended me the right hand of fellowship. I may not be a super apostle, you know, but but I I I, I am one who has the spirit of God and, and know about these things. There's this constantly, you know, they are the apostles and me also as one untimely born, first Corinthians fifteen, like Paul's in this constant bizarre tension in which he's dealing with accusation and and James is really the one he, he's really the, the guy trying to hold the ship together in Jerusalem. And if you back up and take a, a prophetic look at it, right? Because this is how the scriptures are, right? You're just looking at, at Israel. And, well, they just got dominated by a power-hungry kingdom of Babylon. That's all that happened. A guy's going out to extend his territory and get some gold. He raids temples all over the place. Right, Sennacherib, Assyria, right? He's going to save you. What about all the guys before you and their gods? They didn't save them, right? But you have a prophetic interpretation of the history that says, no, their sin, because of their sins, God and their worshiping of other, God handed them over to the Babylonians. And he is destined to say, and so if you back up and let, take a prophetic look at what happened at 70 AD. Why was that temple destroyed? I would argue, because this is, you know, most people don't ask why that happened. The, most of modern scholarship looks at 70 AD, and they interpret it prophetically as the ending of the Jewish story. As that thing came to an end, God punished them for their sins, for killing the Messiah, and he inaugurated the new story. He inaugurated the new kingdom in the church, and, and this greater plan of salvation, and that kind of stuff, Right? But if you step back and say, no, that's a bad, that's a bad prophecy, right? That's a bad prophetic interpretation. What does it mean that that thing got destroyed by Trajan and the Romans? Well, I would argue it means it's the only way to deal with the rampant self-exaltation and those who exalt themselves that is centered in Jerusalem. Right, that you get in Matthew 23 and then carries over into the circumcision group. And the passing of judgment upon the Gentiles and those who believe the disputable matters are the basis for salvation. How then do you deal with it? Well, how do you deal with that blindness and that hardness? You smash the thing that they put their hope in. It's the same way that God deals with all of us, you know. And so that would be my interpretation of what happened at 70 AD is what Paul is laboring against. God finally brought low, you know. So Acts 15, some men who came down from Judea to Antioch were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, then you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate. And uh, so Galatians 2, you get a, uh, a, another reference to the circumcised group 
And so they're understood as a, an association by ideas, okay? Acts 2, when Peter came to Antioch, right? So some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. So we have to come to terms with the apostolic tradition had issues. They're human beings and sometimes they're in the right and sometimes they're in the wrong. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And it's not that you look at First and Second Peter and go, oh, no, Peter was corrected and he, he recognized it. The same way he was corrected at the crucifixion and recognized. The same way he's corrected in, in Matthew 16. It's the same correction. The Messiah is not going to be crucified. This will never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan, bit going on, right? You don't have in mind the things of God, right? Because this is, this is what Paul is trying to labor, is why did God allow the Messiah to be crucified? Why did God hand over the Messiah to be crucified? He's trying to get in mind the things of God and not the things of men. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And so the whole New Testament is, is revolving around why, why, why the cross? You know what I mean? Like, if there's no issues going on, why not just usher in the glory? Why didn't Jesus just go into the temple and the angels, open, the heavens open, the angels start ascending and descending, gathering the nations, gathering from the four corners of the heavens, right? And separating them out, casting them in. Like, why, why, why didn't that happen after the triumphal entry? Why did the cross happen? Well, because all have fallen short, though they do not recognize it, and, and they've gone their own way, and God's allowed them to go their own way, but now he demands that they repent. Well, they have to come to a recognition of why they have to repent, and what's going on with that, right? So, uh, so uh, they belong to the circumcision group. Uh, when they arrived, he began to draw back. Certain men, came from, certain men came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived... They began to draw back and separate themselves from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Now obviously not all Jews in Jerusalem are like this and not all from the circumcision group, put their hope in the flesh. Do you understand? Like Colossians 4. Oh, where's that at? Verse 11. Oh, what's it saying in ASB? Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. Oh, okay. The NIV. Encouragement to me. <laughs> oh, I love you. I hate you. You know, he just says, from the Jews. <laughs> so, as all Jews are alike. Oh, killing me. So, these are the only laborers from the circumcision group. Who are, so, it's not like everybody in the circumcision group has the wrong basis for salvation. But there are, there, there is a general tenor to the group in which they self-identify in a value system that's going on, etc. Right? So, and this is, so you, you get a generalization that they are the false circumcision. We are the true circumcision. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping 
that they are enemies of the cross. So you have a clear delineation that these are guys who call themselves Christians. They are, they are infiltrating. It's the same way with Galatians 2, that these guys came from James, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, and, and they are sent from him, and they are teaching. that they're, they're sitting in the council in Jerusalem. They raise up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised in Acts 15. You understand? There is division within the church on, on this issue. And what Paul is driving home is contrary to what the circumcision group is driving home. It's a little bit like we talked about with the, with the Maccabean insurrectionist hope for the Messianic kingdom. For the kingdom of God, like, we as Gentiles are so far removed from, we don't even think of an earthly kingdom, right? Much less a perversion of how that earthly kingdom is going to come about, right? We, we don't, like, the circumcision group is beyond our gentilic world of thinking of, uh, oh, yeah, they believed in signs and wonders, but false prophets have signs and wonders, real and legit, but they're false. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're just like, oh, it's either they believe in supernatural or they don't. That's not their, that's not how they're working. It's, it's, oh, well, they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They believe he's going to come back, establish a kingdom, but they've set aside the grace of God. I don't, huh? You know, I just thought we had to believe that there's coming kingdom. Jesus is going to judge the living dead, right? No, no, there's, there's a whole issue around who will be saved and what the basis, the grounds for that, yeah. right? And why, how are you going to be saved? We've all sinned. How are you going to be acquitted of those sins, right? Uh, so uh, they're enemies of the cross whose end is destruction. They believe their end is glory. Whose God is their appetite, right? It's the same Romans 16, where he says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions in your men and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. The, the divisions is Romans 14. Those who observe these days and they eat as such, they pass judgment on you. And therefore, they draw back and they won't eat with you at the communion table. Why are we eating together at the communion table? Because we're remembering Jesus that finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. We're eating together in anticipation of that feast that's going to happen in the age to come on Zion, right? And so this is the, they cause division among you. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they, decide, they deceive the minds of the people. Whose God is their appetites, their, their driving, and that's the Philippians 1. They preach Christ out of envy and selfish ambition and rivalry, right? And these kind of, it's the Matthew 23. Outside it looks good, but inside is full of greed and selfish ambition, self-indulgence, right? Or selfishness. And I says indulgence, but that's not, it's not a, the Pharisees weren't like, the pagans indulgent. That's not what it's saying. The Pharisees were very uh, self-controlled on the outside, but it's selfish and selfish ambition and greed on the inside, full of dead men's bones. Ephesians 2, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision. Right? So they self-identify as well as Paul. 
that done in the body by the hands of men. Justification by faith. It's not justification by faith alone. That's actually the accusation that that Paul is getting accused of that only happens by James in James 2. Justification by faith. But Luther made it real well known, so he, he liked the term. God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. So you have a cleansing of the heart, the conscience from sins done in the body by faith in anticipation. And we will be saved through that grace. And so that's what, you know, therefore, since we have been, Romans 5, justified by faith, we have peace with God. So again, it's a dynamic of, of saying, you know, I remember years ago talking to a brother and I say, when did you receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? He kind of recounted to me the story. And I said, you understand that that was God giving you the assurance that he would raise your body forever in glory. And he just kind of sat there and went, oh, whoa. <laughs> you know, because you, you, you have to interpret the event according to reality, even if you didn't understand what was going on. None of us understand what's really going on. We're constantly interpreting life and, you know, but the event of when you felt like John Wesley, my heart was strangely warmed and I felt that my sins, even my sins had been forgiven. You, you know, when you have that experience of peace with God and the, and the turmoil came to an end and, and you felt communion with God, what did that mean? It wasn't just for that point. And it wasn't just so that you could go to heaven forever. It wasn't that at all. I mean, you'll go to heaven, Terry, you know what I'm saying. But what did that mean? It meant that you're going to be saved through grace, by faith. You know what I'm saying? It, it, that meant, that moment of communion with God and reconciliation meant that you're going to be saved from the wrath to come and endure when fire consumes the earth. And he, you, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so the diagrams, right? So in, in, in the New Testament you have, above there, you have two, two groups of people in Paul's mind. Those who will be saved and those who will be disqualified. Even pagans do good things, right? But all their works that deserve commendation will be disqualified. And so in his mind, you have the willful, willful sinners, which are the pagans, and anybody who starts in the path towards eternal life and then chooses to go off to the world, right? So that's the Hebrews 10. But if a man continues on sinning, all that is in front of him is a, is a fearful expectation of the fire of God that will consume the enemies of God, of eternal fire that will consume the enemies of God. Because, again, they've trampled under the name of the Son of God. So you have the Hebrews 10 is kind of the clear, the willful sinners, the pagans, which is, this is, there's no sacrifice for wolf, for conscious sin. That's basic to the sacrificial system, right? It, it, 
those who continue to sin willfully, the sacrifice doesn't apply in the eyes of God. They can bring the sacrifices, right? But the the response is the, the prophets, Micah 5 and Hosea, what are the abundance of your sacrifices to me? What are the, the festivals and the songs? I, but do justice and on the day of your fasting, don't raise angry fists and and your your workmen are crying out from the fields. That, you know all of this that the prophetic voice is. You can't continue on in unrighteousness and think that your sacrifices atone for it. There is no place for for willful sin in our lives, right? And the Holy Spirit, we know we're doing stuff something that's a little shady, or we do something and we're like, oh, that was a little shady, and then we don't say anything. And it's and it just kind of sits there, and the Holy Spirit keeps going, that was shady, that was shady, that was shady, that was shady. And you have to, you know, after a while, it's, you, you come to that point, and you, and you have to confess it, you know, and you have to say, I'm sorry, you know, whoever, whether it's another person, your wife, or whatever, you, we all know that process, right? But what ends up happening is it's willful to the point that you confess it and repent of it. Then it's unwillful. Then the sacrifice in the accounting of God atones for it. You know what I'm saying? But if you continue to harden your heart and just say, oh, it's, it's just going to cause more problem than it's worth to try to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that whole game that we play, that thing gets taken to the day of judgment and it, and it doesn't, there's no atonement for it. You know what I'm saying? And you deal with the repercussions of it. And so it's the fear of God that you, you willful sin is not, there's no place for it. Neither in the old covenant and sacrifice, nor in the new covenant and sacrifice. But so those guys, the willful sinners, they obviously don't have a place. But the guys who set aside the grace of God and, and set the basis of grace, right? Romans 10, God didn't reject his people for you. But don't you know the scripture? Because I, I'm an Israelite myself, right? And he brings up Elijah, and there's a remnant, even in Elijah's day. He thinks he's the only one, but there's 7,000 that have been set aside. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Or if on the basis of grace versus the basis of works, and I mean just does by, but ESV. And so the issue is on the basis, and those who place the basis of anticipation of salvation upon their own deeds and obedience to the law, these will be disqualified on that day because they don't offer the sacrifice. You see what I'm saying? And so you can either willfully sin and offer the sacrifice and it's not counted, or you can just not offer the sacrifice. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's what you have the circumcision group. They've set aside the grace of God. They don't offer the sacrifice. Whereas the pagans, they may offer the sacrifice, but it doesn't atone for them because they go on sinning. You see what I'm saying? So there's these two paths that Paul is trying to, trying to uh, establish people on. So then justification by faith alone is what Luther really had to deal with, and it's it's the general tenor of Catholicism in late medieval period. You know, the high Middle Ages, you just get this development of a system of penance based on works and 
then out of that you get all the indulgences and stuff. And and the whole monastic system was considered like they were the super athletes among the church. And if you really wanted to be a saint, then you had to become a monastic. And all the monastic orders kind of looked down on the ecclesiological orders. And, oh, well, they're kind of second rate, you know, they're... They may be saved or whatever, but we're the, the great ones. And so the, the monastic orders had become this system of salvation by works that really all of the education of the seminaries were based in the monastic orders and then put out all of the priests that then taught all of the people and you just had this culture of justification by works. They're not the same works as the law, though the whole system during that time was kind of based on the law. It was kind of a gentilic, you know, you read the Benedictine rule, and it's a lot of stuff just straight out of the disciplines of the Old Testament. But if you don't follow that order and that, that rule of faith to the detail, you, you know what I'm saying? It's pretty hardcore. So, so Luther is not in touch with necessarily the realities agreed. But he is reacting to the same spirit. You, you understand what I'm saying? And not everybody on the cat, you know, on this side of the self-righteous versus substitute righteous. Not every the, or you. You understand ma massive generalizations right here. You, you understand that? You, there's life is quite complex. But at some point, you have to make generalizations that accord with that bring complexity to simplicity, and you acknowledge complexity within the situation, of course. So not everybody in the circumcision group is going to be disqualified. Understood. Not everybody who's a Catholic in the 14th, 15th, 16th century is self-understood. Yeah. Okay, fine. But as a general rule, this is the situation that has grown up, a gentilic version. And the whole Reformed movement is a drive to relate to God on the basis of the cross. And that thing, good. You, you know what I'm saying? You can draw, I mean, there is a depth and a well of knowledge that you can, you, you can't, you can't tap that thing, man. Those guys are, those guys had serious knowledge and understanding. And they didn't have computers and phones. They sat around and read for hours upon hours upon hours. You know, like Jonathan Edwards, 13 hours a day, six days a week, six on one off. That's God, right? Six days a week, 13 hours a day for 40, 50, 60 years, right? And you get, but you know, 60 volume works coming out of these guys. These guys aren't dumb, yeah. Right? They're not, you, you may have a few assumptions that are a little tweaked here and that I understand, but th these guys, they're not totally blind when they're reading Paul, and they, there's a lot that you can draw out of them. So that's what I'm saying is that you, you have a movement today that just basically writes off Paul as just a dumb, ignorant monk who didn't know anything. <laughs> Dude, that, that dude knew some stuff, all right? Yeah. So anyway, we want to draw from from the insights of those who have gone before us who were zealous, right? Because there's a lot of people, millions of zealous men like us who were awakened by the Holy Spirit and picked up the Bible and said, what does this thing mean? You know, so anyway, I just want to honor where it needs to be honored. Yes. Just in a naked way. I, I found this even, you know, just kind of feeling it out of the out world, but I've seen it in my own heart. I think recently God's been awakening me to grace. 
it's it's easy to enter into that that monkish world. Oh yeah, it is. You know, in our dude, own, and Luther, in Luther our labored at it for fifteen years, hardcore. If ever a monk would be saved, I was that man. He said, "You know what I'm saying?" Like, and some guys can labor in that their whole lives because they're getting a lot out of it. They're getting the nod as they're walking down the hall. They're getting, you know what I'm saying? It's like. They're, they're getting all of the cultural stuff. They're getting their reward. They've received their reward. The same bit as the circumcision and the Pharisees and the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, I didn't mean to. So, I mean, it's almost like you could, I mean, pressing into prayer and fasting, you know? And these things can be uh, a way of feeling good and righteous before God. It, the, this is what the Sermon on the Mount's about. It's not prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. That's that's obvious. You know what I'm saying? It's how you. It's the, the Sermon on the Mount is the cut to why are you doing these things and don't do it like them. Blessed are you. Woe to you. Blessed are you. Woe to you. And then. There won't be the least bit of the law that will pass away. It will all come. But unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Because these guys, they do it like this. You don't do it like this. They do this with the poor. You don't do it like this. They do this with prayer. You don't do it like this. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's, man, there's a drive. There's ambition. There's motivation in those things. But you... You go to your closet and you shut the door so that nobody sees and what your father sees in private, you will be rewarded. They got their reward now. Done. You you don't let men see you when you fast. Right? You put oil on your face. You keep it between you and God and you seek God and you set your hope on the age because they say they set their hope on the age to come. They, they have all the words for it, but they don't actually do it. They live for now. They live for the titles they live for the culture. They live for all of that little stuff and all that. And they create a culture like this, but they don't actually have their hearts on. But you, right? You don't do that. You pray, you fast, you give to the poor, you give your life to the age to come, and you serve God, and you love Him in private, not for the praise of man. And you will be rewarded. And you need a motivator that is real faith in the day of the Lord, in the age to come. That's the motivator you need. You don't need to build systems and structures and all of this and drive on people and hammer them. And, but they'll say, oh, well, brother, you got to hammer on people. Otherwise, you know, they, they, won't, they won't walk in righteousness. They won't, they won't rock in hope. Exactly. And it's always all this rather than, you know, no, you can hand people to the Holy Spirit. You can entrust people to the Holy Spirit. And they will go. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was Roland Allen's bit. We don't need all of this infrastructure and pressure to drive people. We don't need it. We can entrust people to the Holy Spirit. And there is a gospel that is good news that motivates people. You know what I'm saying? And all of the structure that drives people doesn't actually motivate anybody in the end anyway. It just grinds down on people. You know, we, we, we need a... Let's give people the good news, and then let's 
hand them and trust them to the Holy Spirit and let it spontaneously expand. Mm-hmm. Right? You guys, are you, you know, Roland Allen, you guys know this? Right? And so this is, it's, it's, he's, he's battling against the same spirit of the elementary principles of the world. Do you understand? They can, the elementary principles of the world can be embodied in different groups, circumcision groups, this, that, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, whatever, whatever. But it's all in rejection of a simple two-age theory, the day of the Lord, the depravity of man, the holy, these, these main ideas and the spirit of the age of the world finds different expression in all of it. And you'll find guys who are longing for truth and they're thrashers, you know. Like Luther was a thrasher. The, that guy was obnoxious. Do you understand? Like, the, it, it was not, a, he, was, he, was, he was rough. And he drew pictures of his enemies, you know, as large rears and, 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 and asses, you, you understand? And he, he was like, I mean, he was hardcore. And, and the same way, Wesley was the same way, where he, you, you read Wesley's journal, and just about every town that he went into, he ended up having a confrontation saying, you guys are going to hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's how he was. And that's because he was thrashing against all of this, that, and the other and driving towards. And so my point is, is that you, you, you're going to have different aspects and manifestations of it. But we want to get to the core ideas on the timeline that then we can go, that is a manifestation of the stoichion. You understand me? That thing is a manifestation of the elementary principles of this age and this world. And we want our minds renewed according to the age to come. Romans 12, page 6. We'll get a little bit of some of the drive. Galatians 2. For we ourselves, so this is the culmination, like the climax of the contention in Galatians 2. And again, unless you just have a simple timeline to place this stuff on and a, and a simple universal spirit of this age that applies 1st century AD and 20th century AD, because what you end up, you pick up a, you'll pick up a commentary on Galatians 2, okay? And just about any commentary today on Galatians and Romans is massively tweaked by the new perspective. And, and they're going to, they're just going to, qualify and give so much background that, oh, well, it, it was, you end up with, it was just a first century problem. It was just a second temple Judaism problem. It's not a, it's not a universal problem. And you just end up with a historical study about what it meant. You never end up with an application that it's a universal reality to what it means today. You, you, you understand? So Galatians 2 there's a universal problem that had a first century manifestation that's still applicable to today because it's the spirit of the age. And you put it on a simple timeline and you have a straightforward interpretation. You, you understand? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, right? We're, we're cultivated in the law. We should understand how, how the thing works and the sinfulness of man 
and the sin of man that demands sacrifice and atonement and how we're counted righteous before God, right? We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so he's, he's son, we know that if the milk jug is full and you try to pour it, it can spill, right? That's how we say after he's just <laughs> all over the counter. Son, we know, right? So he's saying to Peter, that, right, this is the chief apostle in front of the whole uh, Antioch church. We know that we are Jews by birth and I. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, which then Peter says the exact same thing in Acts 15, because the assumption is this is written before Acts 15, and then Peter gets up and he testifies to it after he's been corrected, right? So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith, acquitted by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law... No one will be justified. No one will be acquitted on that day by, work, by their works of the law. They, may, they will be rewarded if their sins are acquitted. There will be a reward according to their diligence and righteousness and immortality. But if their sins are not acquitted, then all of those works will be disqualified. You, you understand? But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? This is straight out of Romans 3 and Romans 6, right? Shall we, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, right? So he's saying the exact same thing. If it's evident that we're seeking to be justified by faith, because they have false brothers from the circumcision coming into their meetings. And as men and women are vulnerable with one another, confessing their sins and asking for prayer, they go out and say, see, look, they're walking in unrighteousness and they're, you know, whatever. Like, and they use it as an accusation against them saying, look, justification by faith leads to the fruit of unholiness. Right? And so that's his point is, if, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I simply prove myself to be a transgressor. What did I, I tore down when I repented of my sin at conversion? If I rebuild it, show my, I just show that I'm a sinner and need mercy, and I cry out to God. Right? This is the pattern of discipleship. You don't grind down on people. You tell them, brother, we're all in the same boat. Let's cry out to God and ask grace for mercy. And you pray and cry out to the Holy Spirit. Oh God, come and help me. Give me strength. Give me power over this. Holy Spirit, you see what I'm saying? You don't set up an external system of grinding on people for, you know, an, uh, not cool, not cool, man. For, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God, right? This is straightforward Romans 7. Okay, what did the law do? I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't really care about covetousness. I was just going about making love, money, trying to be happy. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden I heard the command, don't be covetous. And then my heart started to do these strange things. I started to, started to want what other people had. And, the, and then it said, don't be covetous. And, I, and it did like this. And all of a sudden, like, that thing, the depravity of man, started churning in me. And is the law unrighteous? No. 
But the purpose of the law is to point out the reality of what's going on so that I'll repent, lean on God, and ask God for help, right? So this is, this is what, through the law, I died to the law. And I sought one thing, right? To be identified with the sacrifice and to be found in that thing, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? Okay, we get atonement participation language. I've been I have been sacrificed with the animal. I live in the animal before God. I don't live on the basis of my body of death, nor that thing inside that's raging in context to the command, and what do I do with all that? I, I live my life and I count myself as alive before God in the sacrifice. And who am I but a dead man? Who am I but, yeah, I agree, but this is who I am. And I count, you know, I forget the past. I just like, and I consider myself in the eyes of God before him. And that's how I keep my faith alive that I am righteous before God. I will be accounted righteous and I will, my sins will be acquitted before God based on my faith in that thing, right? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, right? The life between now and the judgment and that day, I live by faith in that sacrifice. I live by being crucified with Christ. I live, you see what I'm saying? I don't live according to me. I know what me is going on. You, 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 I, we're all fairly in touch with where we should be in touch with that. But we've all walked in that thing where we're out of touch with what's going on in me. And it's the glory of me. And it's the awesomeness that maybe we haven't all, you know, some of us understand. Uh, he says, The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's all the sacrificial language. And how do you relate to the sacrifice What's the basis on which you relate in light of the day to come? You, you understand? Mm -hmm. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification, for if acquittal were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So you know, all of this is in front of Peter and the public rebuke. I looked at him directly. He was clearly in the wrong. We all know we're Jews by birth. We should know these things about how to relate to God and the law and why the law was given because of transgression to teach us, to lead us along until the greater tutor and the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of the Messiah. You, you see what I'm saying? We should understand these things that we're not justified. We're not acquitted based on us, but based on what God has given us, based on what he has given us to offer on his righteousness. And then the back slap in the face is, you're wrong, Peter, because you do set aside the grace of God. You do. You believe that Christ died for nothing. And because of your righteousness and your awesomeness, you're going to be welcomed into his kingdom and glory when he returns. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then he goes on, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you like Peter and these guys? And it's assumed that he, he received that correction, and then he gives the testimony in Acts 15. But then he looks, he, Paul moves to the Galatians. Who bewitched you? Was not Christ clearly portrayed as crucified before your very eyes? 
And you received the guarantee of your resurrection based on faith in that. That's why you received the Spirit. Because you believed what you heard. That you would escape the wrath of God. You would inherit eternal life. Because you believed in the Christ that was crucified. That that was the way to eternal life. And now you want to finish that race. The life in your body. Based on works. Based on human effort. What are you doing? You want to start. Oh God have mercy on me a sinner. And you want to drive that thing through. To be found in the sacrifice. To be found under the blood on that day. I understand the tensions of it. I understand the dynamics of it. But that is the fight of faith. The faith that the day is real. And the judgment's real. And the fight of atonement. That that's how you're going to be saved from the wrath of God. That this is how God has set it up. Then we flip open to Philippians 3. Okay. Um, Philippians 3 is on. Because Philippians and Galatians go together like Ephesians and Colossians go together. And Philippians is hardcore. Okay? It's it's not for the light of heart. He said he calls Ephesians, Colossians, he's dealing with Gnostics Gnostics more. Galatians, Philippians, a little more circumcision. Um, no, I mean, you're dealing with it in Colossians, Both. definitely, you know, don't, therefore, don't let any man judge you about a feast day, a Sabbath, a new yeah. moon, or festival, right, that's a rehearsal of the exact phrase from the Old Testament, like seven times, let anybody judge you about that, for God, God humiliated the demons who were trying to drive people to a lake of fire by the cross, you know, and that you're justified by faith in that, not by Numa. So Colossians has and Ephesians has. Therefore, those who call themselves the circumcision, don't let them pass judgment on you, who they call the uncircumcised, that done in the flesh by the hands of men, right? So that they, you have it in those, but kind of the flavor of Ephesians and Colossians is kind of like a, a revelatory praise oriented, but Galatians and Philippians is just like, you know, he, dude's got a fight and he's bringing it in on him. Okay. And he starts out in Philippians that, listen, there was a good work that was started among you by me. And I'm asking God to bring it to conclusion on the day of Christ Jesus. And there's a bad work that has been brought in by dogs and they're driving. They love it that I'm in prison. They, you know, but it's worked out for my, for, for the betterment of the gospel. The, the people in prison have been, the gospel's been preached to them. And I'm at peace with God. And I'm just glad Christ is being preached. But they preach it out of envy and rivalry, and et cetera, et cetera, you know. But you don't have that attitude among you. You have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who didn't exalt himself. Who laid down his life, and he became the. He didn't consider equality with God to, you know, what I'm saying, but, and so he was given the greatest name because those guys they're going to be least in the kingdom, but if you be like Christ Jesus and have one mind and humility, you will be greatest in the kingdom. And then Philippians three, okay. So then you get to Philippians three. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, as it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, right? That done by the flesh, in the flesh by the hands of men. Ephesians 2, Galatians 8. 
right? For it's we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Confidence for what? Confidence before God in anticipation of that day. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I more circumcised on the eighth day. The people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 2 Corinthians 11. Are they Hebrews? I am too. Are they Israelites? Me too. You know, like, but they step forward. They're abusing you. They're slapping you in the face. You love it, right? So, Hebrew Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit that I considered in the eyes of God in anticipation of that day, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, dung, poo, right? Because all the circumcision group, those guys, those dogs, we're talking about believers who are getting along with the Pharisees, right? They're getting along with the Pharisees. They're just saying, bro, we, we're on the same page. We just, you just got to believe in Jesus. He's the one who's going to, you know, you just keep on, keep on. No, no, there's a contention going on over the Pharisees are blind about something, right? And they need to repent, right? And so this is what Paul is saying. What was to my glory and what other people put great value in, even these guys who are believers, but they're dogs, I consider it dung and rubbish. What I used to put confidence in the flesh and what these circumcision brothers are putting confidence is, that stuff is poo. All right? I'll use every word but the one that we're all thinking, right? And that is the, that's the slap that Paul is giving. Yeah, right? There's, there's real guys on the other, other end who, listen, I consider your stuff crap. That 10,000 pages of commentary, that's crap. That wall of teaching, that, that's crap. You understand? <laughs> All right. We're on the same page. Awesome. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, that is by faith. I want to know Him. I want to know that the, the Messiah that God ordained to put on a cross and, and that God reckons in our stead for the acquittal of sin. I want to know that guy. I don't want to know my previous life that I was zealous for, man. I was on that thing. I want to be zealous for that. I want to be zealous for Christ crucified. Like, that's what I want to know. I know the other. But I didn't know him before. You, you get the bit, right? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so as to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Like, I want to know why God considered that, that it was ordained once that he bears sin, just as it is every man. 
to die and then face judgment. I want to know him that he was ordained to bear sin and then be validated by being raised from the dead. I want to know why God ordained it like that and why God approves of that man. He approves of that man to rule over everything because that man laid his life down for every other man. And one man died for every man. And I want, you see what, like, that's what Paul is, that's why all the language, there's so much diversity and depth and all of the, and it's hard to understand for twisted men. But that's, that's the fruit of Paul wanting to know the mind and the things of God by handing over the Messiah in light of the, the day to come. Not that I've already obtained all this. Okay, so what is he obtaining? And this is, once you, once you unravel the next few verses, then you have a, this is the fighting the good fight. You have the inner workings of the driving of Paul. What's he obtaining? What's he obtaining? To the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. No. Okay. That's the one that seems... Because it says in this translation, verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, the next verse, not that I have already obtained it, or I have already become perfect. That's, a, that's that uh, Right, right. But the it isn't... The it is... The, the, okay. You, you no, no, no. You, no, no that's it. That's it. Yeah. The, 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 all of this, the it is the whole package. Okay, so what he's doing is he's rehearsing everything he's just said. Uh-huh. Not that I've obtained to this, meaning not that I've obtained to walking away from what I once considered valuable and now have obtained to knowing Christ crucified and being found in him so as to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Uh-huh. The prize is the resurrection of the dead. The prize is eternal life. But the obtaining it is the faith in Christ crucified and having a righteousness that is not my own. You you understand? And this will unfold in just a second. Not that I've obtained all this or have already been made perfect. And the being made perfect is being made perfect in faith. It's being made perfect in how I'm approaching God and relating to God in light of that day. Because he was perfectly wrong when he was a Pharisee, and he was, he was putting confidence in all these things. Now he is driving to put confidence in this, and he's driving to be made perfect in this, right? Because where else has perfect been spoken? Verse 6, as regard to legalistic righteousness, or the righteousness of the law, perfect, right? Not that I've been made perfect now in what I've left behind and now what I'm straining towards, not that I've been made perfect in, but one thing I do, not that I'm made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And so the taking hold of that is justification by faith, for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You see? Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to, t- to have taken hold of it, and this will become clear, especially in, in verse 16, 15 16, not to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Do you, you see what, like, the conversation that's just happened about the circumcision group and the confidence in that, 
The straining towards what ahead is having confidence and faith in Christ crucified. The forgetting what is behind is having confidence in the flesh. You see what the, the striving and the, the drive is? That I might be found in him on that day, not having a righteousness of my own. I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the resurrection and eternal life. For which God has called me, or the, the high calling in God, or the upward, just the high calling, which is the resurrection in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view. Okay, so who is the weak in faith? Romans 14. The weak in faith is a circumcision group. Who are the mature? These things don't, don't, they don't matter in the kingdom of God. Right, All of us who are mature, and you get the same language in, in Colossians 2 and 3. All of us who are mature should take such a view on things. That this is the basis of confidence on that day. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. It's the, almost the same language as Romans 14. Each man should be convinced in his own heart. And he should live up to what he believes. That If one man believes that he drinks, he, he does it for God. Another man believes that he should abstain, he does it for God. Only let each man live up, do, well, I forget the language of Romans 14, out of faith. And if you don't do it out of faith, then it's sin. If you're doing it like Peter, and you're drawn back out of fear, though you know what's right. You know you shouldn't draw back from the Gentiles, but you do it, not out of faith, but out of the fear of man. You are in sin, and you're wrong. But if you really believe that on that day, these things will matter, and you'll be judged according Live up and attain to it, but don't pass judgment on your brothers. If you, if you, If we don't agree on this... That's fine. The Lord will make it known to you. I'm right, you're wrong. But let us, let us live up to and let us walk in harmony. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is the context. And then he goes on to join with others and following my examples, brother. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. The pattern is the same bit in Romans 14. Give thanks to God. It's all, uh, uh, there, there's nothing unclean once been sanctified by word and prayer. For, as I often told you before, and even now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You understand? Like he's, and then he's bringing back the dogs to the conversation, because the whole conversation is in contrast to the circumcision group, and how they're living their life in the flesh now, at a confidence, at a heart level, in light of the day of Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is driving home. It is the heart issues. It's not a semantic issue. It's, it, it's how each one of us stands before God and how we have confidence before God and how we view that God reckons us. And one thing we do, we thought God reckoned us this way based on our zeal like this. And now we know God will reckon us on that way, on that day, this way. And so I'm going to drive into that and press into that by faith till the day I die. And I want to be crucified with him. I want to die with him. I want to be found in him. I am in, and in him, I will find the acquittal of sins and inherit eternal life. 
And there's no other way. And if I'm not found in Christ crucified, it will all be disqualified and be for naught. Hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so this is what is the what what's what's driving the man throughout his life. And it's like this. You, you're not. Of course, it's you, you, the, the the kind of crazy once saved always saved thing. Is it's just like there's no place not to drive. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? You, you don't put blood over the door and go in the house and then walk down and frolic in the Nile. That's, well, that's, you would have, right? You get in the house and you stay in that thing and you tarry in that thing with the tension going on during that time until the night, the day comes and the judgment happens, right? You're, you're driving towards that if you continue, right? The Galatians... That the, the, the Galatians 2 bit, or Galatians 1, threw himself to reconcile all things, whether things in, on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out to you in the gospel. You, you understand, this isn't like a complicated game that Paul is playing with just revelation coming to him here, there, and everywhere. There's revelation on that timeline. But there's one game going on. Sinful man that God has died for in light of the wrath to come to deliver him from what he deserves. And if I can establish in you a few simple things concerning how God is, how man is, what God did at the first coming, what he's doing at the second coming, if you continue in that and press on in that to the day of Christ Jesus in that good work to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, then, then it's done. And, we, and we're, we're out of this age. Mm -hmm. And we save those who we've taught and listened to. You, you know what I'm saying? It's not, like a, it's not like a little revelation that, oh, then you run down that road for six months and, oh, that kind of wears out. Oh, let's move on to the next bestseller or whatever. It's yeah. not, no, you got one game that is get under the blood and stay there. Mm -hmm. And if you leave the blood, either by willful sin or by setting it aside and not offering the blood, right? You're out of the blood, and the judgment hits you. That's the game. Real simple game. A hard game. Takes a lot of faith to believe it day in and day out, right? Because you got all the voices of the world going, and you got all the voices of the radicals going, and you get and it's all going like this, 24-7, right? I didn't learn it in a book. This is how it's going, but you drive... <laughs> down that one path and you press on in that thing under the day of Christ Jesus because you really believe that's how it's going to play out. And if you keep it like this every day, you know, you keep it like this, then on that day, that will be what is exposed, right? Because whatever you're doing like this every day, whatever you're driving towards, when that, everything gets exposed, it's like the plane going down and everybody just screams what's in their heart. You know, and it all just kind of comes out. You've heard the stories of that where everybody's just cursing on the black boxes because whatever is like when you're confronted with reality, you just you just it comes out. And so, man, when the when the angels call you up 
when the sky splits and the fire happens, it's just what you've got right there. You just do what you've got. You know, and if it's, oh, Lord, look at all the awesome, look at that. You know, everything that you're offering before God, day in and day out, your ministry, your awesome, or, or oh, I'm not that bad, it wasn't that bad. You know, I didn't do that. Too. And you just offer how you relate in, in who you are before God as you've gone through all your life. You just offer that thing on the day of the Lord. It just comes out. That's how it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul is trying to establish, no, look, you grind these things in. You grind them in over the long haul. And you relate day in and day out and have peace with God. And you meet with God. And you rehearse it. And you tell your kids. And, and so that this is when it happens, you just say it like it is. Oh, God, salvation belongs to you. And you know what that means. Because your heart is set on that. Your confidence is set on that. And what God has provided before you on that day. You, you, you see what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> so, this uh, for all questions. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so if you got, you know, things come to your mind, you know, keep a tally of them. Let's pray, guys. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your son, for your servant, for the spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, for continuing to pierce and open our hearts to receive from you. Father, we, even in this moment, we glory in Christ Jesus, our Lord, your sacrifice on our behalf. We claim the blood over our lives and over our homes. We say, yes, God, we need a Savior. We thank you for mercy, grateful. And Father, thank you for the simple timeline. And I pray greater simplicity in that. And then God, as we go deep, give clarity. Even today, this afternoon, this evening, give understanding. Continue to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in these things. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.